The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, Kinky Connections and Kinky Education. We're kinky done differently. what women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun discussion about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy. As well as an intimate discussion about how to connect with our own authentic self. With questions asked by a guy. And now here is your host, John, or as we call him around here, hi there, catsuit. Hi there, Nookie, and welcome to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, a show about connections and how people become their authentic selves. I'm John, known to some as Hi There, Catsuit, and on this edition, we visit with a living legend whose designs grace the stage of major award shows, concerts, and more, not to mention the wonderful world of fetish. The Baroness is New York's premier designer of elegant, provocative latex fashions, and she lives by her motto, any occasion to dress is an occasion to overdress. Her New York City East Village boutique is one of, if not the only store in America where original latex designs are made and sold on the premises. The Baroness has been designing her latex fashions for almost 30 years, dressing fetishes, fashionistas, and celebrities alike, including Beyonce, Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, and Victoria's Secret models. She and her work have been featured internationally on TV shows ranging from ABC News specials, HBO's Real Sex, and more. Her magazine work includes Vogue, Cosmopolitan, Playboy, Marquee, Skin 2, and countless others. The Baroness is also a renowned lecturer, performer, in addition to hosting parties and creating wearable rubber art. You can visit her at Baroness.com to see photos of her latest fashions and archives. With that, we are graced to be in the powerful presence of the one, the only, the Baroness. It's five questions about memorable firsts. We call it the first five. First time you ever wore latex. So a slave bought me a little red dress. It was a sleeveless, short, tight, zip up the front dress. When I went into the shop, it was about, if I held it up to me, maybe six inches across my waist. And I asked the person if they had it in a large, extra large, something else. He said, no, 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 this will fit you. I leave the store thinking I'll have 250 pounds removed, my ribs removed, I don't know, something. I want to have this dress, but that just seems unrealistic. I go back into the store with my friend and it's one of those dressing rooms with the swinging doors where you can see your head and your feet. We're mm -hmm. in there cramming me into the dress. It's like the Keystone Cops, it's very funny. Um, <laughs> I walk out into the store because of course there's no mirrors and I hear, oh my God, you look incredible. And I thought, actually, I feel like a stuffed sausage, but if this dress fit me, I'd feel as good as you think I looked. And I started my business right then. So that was first time latex completely changed my life. That was it. So. First time you saw a celebrity wearing your latex and your reaction to it. I don't know. I've seen a lot of celebrities wearing my latex. And I must admit, it doesn't really impress me anywhere near as much as when I have made something for someone that's a regular person and I see them maybe at a club, I see them from the back and I think I would follow that person home and then they turn around and I go, oh, I made that. Hmm. So it's become so much of them. That's, that's really a thrill for me. I mean, celebrities, you have Dress Lady Gaga, Beyonce, uh, Ricky Martin, Nicki Minaj, you know, everybody who, everybody who wears latex, I probably dress them. But that's just not as thrilling because they're, well, they're not, not to say that they're not real, but they're, you know, they're wearing it for a, a different reason than somebody who comes to me and wants a personal piece. First time you ever knew you were a little bit different. I came out of the womb that way. <laughs> <laughs> First time you stepped out 
in latex in public and the people's reaction to it? So I had a slave, um, the same slave who brought me the dress. And I was already at this point kind of making my own clothing, latex clothing. And we went to Hellfire and he said, you know, everyone, you're gonna go, everyone's gonna be talking about you. And I was like, yeah, that's probably why I like you is your ability to lie convincingly. And um, we went out and, you know, it was, that was it. That was really like it happened at that night and we did a brutal blue whooping scene. I tend to look pretty striking in myself. I, you know, I dressed my slave to look nice. We just came in, we just sort of took it over and immediately went to, from like zero to, I don't know, 2 million and 10 or something. Mm. But I generally find that when people are, I'm a little oblivious when people notice me in latex because I don't dress for anybody else. I dress for me. I mean, I just, no, that's wrong. I do dress for other people, but there are the people that I know that I'm dressing for specifically. I'm not dressing for the masses. I'm not somebody that uh, I can be completely oblivious. I had an occasion with my one of my slaves who was very much an attention whore and he, we're waiting in line in a movie we're going to go and see, um, I've forgotten the name of the movie, but anyway, she wears a cat suit and it's French and she's in the rain a lot in the cat suit. And we're waiting in this line and I'm sitting on his back in the line and he's like, oh, everybody's looking at us. And I'm like, really? I hadn't noticed. Um, so I just, I'm just not really aware of what other people respond to in that sense. I think that if I was, I would be a little bit too self-conscious. Like it's, it's, it is truly for me. It's, I mean, yes, you can all enjoy it, but it is for me that I'm doing this. First time you ever fell in love? With a person? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a tough one because I can think of a couple of different things in different circumstances, but I will say the one that is probably the more, and plus I'm a woman of a certain age, so I have a lot of, research, a lot of history to go through. Um, I do know that when I met my husband, the first time I met him, he was quite far away from me. He was in his chair. He swung around in his chair. I'd seen a photograph of him from a previous lover who'd sent a picture of him with his camera, with camera boxes, he's a photographer, with um, film boxes up to his near ears. And I said, I hardly recognize you without the film boxes. And I thought to myself, mine, don't care how long it takes, don't care what you have to do to it, this one's mine. Mm -hmm. So that would be my, the true, the true amour, amour toujours for me. <laughs> Do you want to hear episodes way before their release date, commercial-free and with an exclusive and always interesting five more minutes? Then support the show at patreon.com slash whatwomenwantpodcast, and you can be a part of an actual upcoming show. Realizing that you're polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly-specific dating, such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works, real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should, dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. Hi, this is Jane Boone, the author of the novel Edge Play. It's a revenge fantasy where the big short meets 50 shades of gray. Only the women wield the whips and the billionaires submit. You can find it at Amazon in paperback or for your Kindle. And be sure to check out my episode with Tara Indiana right here on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Thank you. Are you liking what you're hearing? Check out the Total Archives wherever you find your podcasts. And please remember to subscribe so you don't miss a minute. And while you're there, help John out by giving him a rating and review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's get back to what women and other wonderful humans want. Being a woman of a certain age, you have been able to see the evolution of the way people connect with each other. We are of an age where we used a telephone when we first started. Even before that, it could have been being pen pals and actually writing actual letters to each other. Maybe even seeing each other. <laughs> and that helps as well. But as far as an initial connection, 
Have you found that it's so interesting to see how people try to connect in this day and age, having experienced everything you have back in previous years? No, I don't find it interesting how they try and communicate because I think they just fail. I would say almost everybody just fails in this modern time of communication. For me personally, particularly as a top, but also as someone who's dressing someone and also just me personally, I like people, I like to see them, I like to watch how they move, I like to watch how they react. I need all of this information. It's it kind of, I'm like a spider in a web getting all of this stuff. I find that with this ability for, the plus part is there's, there is a big ability to reach out to people that we don't know. So there is that connection in that sense. Um, there is a certain amount of connection in that people who might be frightened to say something face-to-face -face might feel a little bit more comfortable. However, the same, the double-edged part of that is they feel a bit more comfortable to be rude, offensive, um, stepping in when they should be quiet. Uh, not knowing how to speak to people. I think we've lost a great deal of the manners. I mean, obviously with my name, the Baroness, I'm a great believer in manners and hierarchy and such. And I feel that that's really being lost. I feel that the, a lot of people probably didn't have a strong education in the written English. So it's harder for them or, or maybe not even harder. Maybe they're just lazy. Maybe it's just, you know, cause it's okay now that we can all halfway write things or you get spell check and you're saying fur instead of for or whatever it is but communication is not that way and I don't uh, I mean I like to watch people tremble and you it's hard to see that when they're writing particularly in a text <laughs> the art of courting oh lost almost that's very difficult yeah I, I have um when I have slaves apply basically there is a whole routine and ritual that I have them do or I try and have them do. Most of them will drop out or be not make it past the first hurdle, you know, send me a resume, you know, basically I'm expecting to be courted. You want something from me, you have to give me something in my, if they approach me through some sort of, well, written thing or even in the shop, if they come in, it's like, I want a resume. Okay, so they send me a resume. Now, what kind of a resume is that? I'm being judged on that. Um, if it's, you know, the best one is they made their own paper and they've written about how fabulous I am and all the things that they can do for me and what their availability is and what they have and what their experiences and what their references are. That's like a really great courting. I mean, then by the time they're, I would allow them to come by and bring me some champagne that's already chilled. It doesn't have a price tag and isn't in a plastic bag and that they're well-dressed and they brought me flowers and, you know, all of these things. I mean, I've set up so many things because I'm really quite demanding quite specific in what I want. And most people can't do that. You know, they'll send me a resume. Well, I'll send you a resume, yeah. You know, that's the end of that. That's not courting. I mean, courting is a little dance. You give me, I decide if I give you, I tease, you tease, you know, we go back and forth. It's, it's a dance and that's just something that um, certain people are not really skilled at. They don't have the social graces. I'm British, so I really grew up a lot with manners and that whole breeding being built in. And that's um, something I feel is sorely lacking here. First impressions can be the greatest thing or they can be the most awful thing. What is something that somebody can do to make a good first impression with the Baroness? Is this somebody I'm seeing, physically mm -hmm. seeing? They can look good, dress well, dress interestingly, stand up straight, be terribly nervous, be in awe, um, have a present that I like, bring flowers, look interested. Um, those, are, those are all things. And they don't have to look me in the eye and speak confidently. I don't mind a little, you know, sliveling little thing on the floor because that's also entertaining. That makes a good first impression. But um, I'm very visually oriented. So you have to have a good visual. It doesn't matter that, like your weight or your height or something. But if you're thinking that you're going to be seeing, seen with me physically in the same room with me and you're wearing, you know, jeans with holes and your shoes are run down and they're dirty and you need a shave, then that's just not... It's not a an aesthetic that I'm fond of, shall we say. And I'm trembling in another way because there is an air 
and I'm not going to call it intimidation, but there is an air of grandness about you that makes me do something that I'm not normally doing. And that is, I feel nervous talking to you. Oh, good. <laughs> and that brings joy to you. Oh, it does. It pleases me immensely. And yes, I can be intimidating. What is one thing that somebody can do that will really surprise you in courting you? Quality. I'm, I hate to say that this is something that would surprise me, but quality. If someone, for example, going back to slaves referring, because that's sort of the easiest thing, is to get gifts that are beautifully wrapped, that the paper has been chosen, that they've thought about me enough to feel that they're bringing, whether or not the gift is what I want or not, but they thought enough about me to give me a gift that they feel I would like, they've wrapped it, they've considered it, they've written the note properly, they've possibly torn it up a few times because their handwriting wasn't quite right, or you know, just, just the whole, that is such a surprise and I'm loath to say that because I would love to think that that's the norm, but it is very uncommon. Um, I'm drawn to intelligence, so, but intelligence doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have an aesthetic quality about you. Can one be intelligent but still tongue-tied? Oh, of course. But of course, some of the best people are. That's why I make them all write in journals and give them each time I see them to grade. I love giving out little notebooks to people. And when I do it, it has been usually at King conventions. And what I always say to them is this is something to write good things about yourself and things that other people say about you that make you feel good. And when you need to feel good and pick yourself up, open it up and read it. That's a lovely thought. That's a lovely thought. I usually give people or tell people that they should write because a lot of times I'll get people who are, if they're going to stay with me, and my philosophy is I want them, that's really the sort of people that I like for life, is that they're going to go through a journey of great change. And once you've gone through a journey of great change and it's two years later, you don't remember who you were. You don't have any idea of any of that stuff, the, the first thrill, the, the wondering, the... Um, amazement of things, how you felt when you were hit at the moment versus like five minutes later versus the next day. I mean, you don't know those things because those become second nature to you. You're just, you don't, you, you can't remember that first time. And for a lot of people who are going through huge changes in their life, that is just something that's so important. I mean, I personally write every day and I don't necessarily read them, but it's just the process of getting that out and actually thinking about it. It's also for my slaves, it's an opportunity for them to write questions that they had at the time that they were maybe uncomfortable to talk about, ask me, didn't know it was the right time to ask, if they were even allowed to ask. Um, and I have a sense about where they're going so I can also correct them in, you know, you think this, you're going off the wrong path, you should think this, or why do you think this? I love when people write about their experiences and share their honest and raw feelings in a writing about a scene that they've been in or an experience they've had. And I also believe that those kind of writings can also act as a thank you note to the lovely person who is the top at the time because you realize that they understood every single moment of what you were doing to them. Hmm. Well, I do like writing. I had one of my slaves, he wrote for a month. He had a sonnet for me every month, every day for a month. And it was really, not that I like sonnets, I just like the writing, but he was, that was part of his geekdom. He wanted to, had to be a sonnet. And it was really delightful to, I don't know, I'm vain. Tell me about me. <laughs> you know, so that that's always nice. That's always nice. And it's also, it's a sign of um, an expanded, for me, it's a sign of an expanded personality that they can write, that they can step beyond the moment, um, that they're not so stuck in this time period, that they're allowing time after the event to go over it, to honor the event, honor their, what they're thinking, what, 
I don't know what they're feeling, what they want to think, what they want to feel, what they're frightened of, all of those things. I mean, that people who explore who they are, are, I think, infinitely more interesting than those who don't. Was there a certain time of your life or a certain experience that defined who you are now? I don't think so. I mean, I can tell you when the Baroness as a persona came into existence. Um, I had a friend I was who lives out on the West Coast. I'm in New York, friend from the West Coast, an artist, and I've known him for some time. And I periodically go out there and I went out and I saw him and we went out to a diner and he said, I asked something like, you know, what have you been up to? And he says, oh, well, you know, I've been cross-dressing. <laughs> and I said, oh, who trains you? Now, this is me who'd never actually even thought about the possibility that anybody would train anybody. Um, and I just kind of leapt right into it. And that the name, the Baroness existed because of that. I'm not quite sure exactly at what point in our relationship it came up, but it was just, we were having champagne. Well, I would have the champagne glass. Why on earth would he have a champagne glass? So we did a whole bunch of, um, well, they weren't YouTube videos, a cable TV show. He was interested in being a woman. So I did this whole dressing thing with him and talked about what it is like to be a woman, the, the whole feelings of it, trained him about, or allowed him to train himself about makeup and hair. And before what he had been doing was taking his persona, you know, he would find pieces of her in the rubbish, um, fill up balloons, water balloons for breasts, masturbate wildly, and then throw it all away in disgust at the end. And I just said, this is just completely unacceptable because women are these amazing creatures and you're basically denigrating it. I need you to have a closet for her. I need her to have a name. I need her to have this. I need her to have that. You need her to have all of these things. And watching him now, it's just always a treat to see the, the benefits that people have through that acceptance of who they are. And I think that that made me no, I actually know the answer. So before I used to be kind of pushy, bitchy. There's another word that's not really nice. As soon as I went to Hellfire at that time, I was a goddess. I was assertive. I was grand. That was, that was the pivotal point, I think, that changed it. So it's obviously been more than one pivotal point in anybody's life. But those, that acknowledgement that I hadn't changed at all, but people's perceptions of me had changed was huge. It's interesting to me that you describe how you wanted this person to have a closet and a name and reverence for who they were as their cross-dressed self. I have often argued that there is a certain way to be able to think in a female perspective in the fact that in the studies that I've done and in the people that I have had the joy of knowing, it seems like women will take in the entire picture while many men are very focused on a problem solution basis. They move in a straight line while women, if they move in a straight line, are always conscious about everything around them. Do men who cross-dress have to put themselves in that sort of mindset that if they're going to be this person, they need to understand that it's more about the journey than it is the destination? I don't think so. I think that really depends on the person. I mean, Lascivious wanted to be a woman, wanted to know what it was like to be a woman, to feel what it was like to be a woman. In that case, I pointed out, you know, women older women and said like, look at this woman, look at this woman's style. I mean, think about that. You can't like take this woman that you want to learn how to be and throw her in the trash when you're done with her. Um, whereas some other people, you know, what they want to do is feel the, the silky lingerie, the, um, the petticoats, the I'm, I'm a girl, oh, it's so cute, but they're not interested in being that. They're, so that's an entirely sensual experience for them and or se sensual sexual experience. And that's quite enough for them. It's not, a, it's incredibly difficult to be a woman if you're not one. But one of the biggest things that's very important for me as a woman, and also just as a human, is I believe that there should be a great deal of respect for us. <laughs> and mm -hmm. to take this woman that he wanted to be and toss her out when he was done with her really offended me. And I felt that as a woman, I don't have that option. 
So why would he, if he wants to experience being a woman, why should he have that option? That doesn't exist for us. So um, that was really important that he experienced that. And for other people, I think it is, it's very hard to become that expensive. You need to be in an environment where people will allow you to be that expensive, mm -hmm. where you can see by example. I had one person who came to work for me who was in the beginning of a change and um, frequently would end, you know, end, their, end her workday with little crying jags about how wonderful it was to be accepted. And I'm like, yes, and get off the hormones, dear. Um, <laughs> but, it was, but it was just that this was the first time that she felt accepted so that it allowed her to do more mentally than to just put on the clothing. Do you want to leave us a comment, thought, or have something to contribute to the show? You can now call or text us at the 3W hotline at 513-788-2527. That's 513-788-2527. Or drop us an email at john, J-O-N, at datingkinky.com. That's john, J-O-N, at datingkinky.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Allison Ass, trauma-informed sex and intimacy coach and educator and the founder of TurnOn.Love. And I teach a wide range of workshops and courses on topics including flirting and seduction, deepening emotional intimacy, expanding pleasure, exploring fantasies, repairing ruptures in relationships, navigating non-monogamy, and more. And I work with individuals and couples in a coaching dynamic to support them in getting out of their heads and into their bodies and navigating challenges like erectile dysfunction and anorgasmia to help men figure out how to express their desires in ways that feel authentic and not let opportunities pass by any longer, to help women explore what they want and really advocate for it in their relationships and to support couples in getting the spark back and in exploring non-monogamy if you want to open up your relationship. To explore all this and more, you can check out my website at www.turnon.love. And don't forget to listen to my episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. It's in the archives wherever you listen to your podcast. Hello, I'm Jessie Sage from Peep Show Media. Peep Show Media is a multimedia magazine bringing news and stories from the sex industry. Be sure to check out our website at peepshowmedia.com for essays, porn reviews, events, interviews, news stories, and more. Also, make sure to listen to our podcast, The Peep Show Podcast, anywhere you get podcasts. And for a bit more of a personal glance into my life, make sure to check out my January 15th interview on what women and other wonderful humans want. It's time to get back to learning about the most important connection of all, the one we have with our authentic selves, on what women and other wonderful humans want, presented by Dating Kinky. Are you amazed at the evolution of sexuality in the past 20 years, or actually the last 30 years? Could you have imagined the wide array of orientations and gender identification and things that we would have never even thought of back in the early 90s that are things that we concentrate on and make sure we celebrate today? I think in the early 90s, I was probably a little bit no, it was definitely me-centered. So I really didn't notice too much about what was going on. I've certainly noticed that there, I think, is a little bit too much division between all of the things. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Oil and Spiegel Society, but I used to go to that and they would have, you know, they'd have the dominant male meetings, the dominant female meetings, the under a certain age meetings, the pony play meetings, the people who like to feed. And it was all so divided and you just couldn't get, get together. Whereas, you know, in smaller places, I used to work in the film business. So I would be traveling to smaller places where they didn't have the luxury of the division. You'd go to a club and there'd be gays, there'd be straights, there'd be queers, there'd be goths, there'd be burlesque, there'd be everybody. You know, there'd be, everything would be mixed together. I personally think that that is a better idea. I think that we, as we identify with whoever it is we identify, we it's nice to have support, but I don't think it's a good idea to be exclusive from that. And I must admit one thing that I really miss with this whole, um, the way I see a lot of the sexuality of people going, you know, I'm male to female, female to male, we to they, you to I, all of that stuff. 
I miss dikes. <laughs> I really <laughs> miss dikes. You don't see very many of them anymore. They're kind of, you know, there used to be a lot of dikes and they're, I mean, they're very hot. And now you see more women who are transitioning. You don't really see the dikes. So that that's something that I physically miss. And I'm very aware that that, I mean, I'm sure there are some somewhere, but they're just not the quantity that I used to see. And there's certainly more women to men and men to women kind of things. Neither here nor there or, or there having been here, people. You had a monthly fetish party called the, was it the fetish retinue? Is that retinue, the, yes. the right way to pronounce it? Retinue means, for those who don't know, it's the courtiers. Hmm. It's the people of your court, basically. And unfortunately, I don't have it anymore. I uh, was the longest running fetish party in New York. It was monthly. Each month would have a different theme. Um, the price structure was set up so that everyone could come. It's just a matter of how much I wanted you there or not. So if you were free, you were fabulous. Um, that was a guarantee. If you had to pay a large quantity of money or couldn't get in, it meant you really didn't look very good. Mm. Um, if you paid sort of the medium price, it means you made an effort, but not that much of an effort. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was really designed to be I had it on um, Sundays, Sunday nights. I also had it on Thursday nights because I really wanted it to be something that wasn't the, this is going to be the big bang, the whole, oh, wow, we got so much writing on it. I just wanted it to be a place where you could come to. I wanted to make sure that it was at places where the curtains could be kept open because I don't feel that anything I'm doing is embarrassing or, or shameful or should be hidden, I, although there is a sort of a pleasure in that. Um, no sex because I like clothing on. I'm a latex clothing designer. I want you dressed. Mm -hmm. um, each time I wanted to bring in people from, the, you know, and I had the, the, one of the reasons it was the best party in New York, I think, is because I got people who'd never done anything before to seasoned veterans. I got young people to people in their 80s. I got pros. I got queers. I got gays. I got everybody who come in and start out and there would be the idea of play is very important to me and to get people to be involved and to do these, to see these creative scenes, to be a part of it, to, you know, like, come on, let's everybody do this. You know, this was always, it was always really fun. I, I sorely miss it, but the, the um, climate in New York has changed drastically and, you know, real estate's very expensive now. Of course, right now, nobody can do anything, but mm -hmm. it's, um, it's a different time. And it was a really wonderful party. It, it, Tons of people, of course, come up to me all the time and say, you know, I really miss your parties. You should do them again. It's like, yeah, well, me too. <laughs> you are the first interviewee that I have had that appeared on the documentary series Real Sex. And to me, that particular series was the one that introduced me to all the different possibilities that there were. Was that a groundbreaking series? Well, for me, it certainly was. I'm, I'm amazed. I was on it episode 26. Um, and when that came out, that aired like for the first three or four months, it seemed like it aired three or four times a day, every single day of the week. I mean, it was always on. I mean, I, that's a big part of why I'm famous is because of that. Um, what I've been, I had a lot of people come up to me and say that they've, you know, actually a couple of my slaves had seen it before they'd ever met me. You know, mm -hmm. that was, that's really nice. It's part of this history. I love the fact that a lot of people have come up and said that did allow me to, ex you know, realize there were people like me or to explore things or, oh my God, I'm meeting you, which is like a sign that I'm in a place that's further advanced in my fetish development that I wanted to be. And it's just, it's, it was a big deal. Almost everybody I knew it seemed like was on it. Um, I got on it because there was a, um, A&E was doing something on me for, I was doing a big party, the kinky costume ball with um, Carrie of uh, Arena Blaze who did the black and blue ball in New York, which is mm -hmm. a big deal. And we joined together, we did the kinky costume ball and they were, there was this documentary team that was following us around for probably about three months or so and then they got it all edited and then the head honchos of any &E changed and they didn't want it <laughs> it's oh, like we wow. don't want to show this sort of thing however the directors were like well baroness you're just you're just so fascinating we have to have you so they asked if i would do this and i was yeah sure you know because i really i feel that it's very important that as a 
a fetishist or somebody in the BDSM lifestyle or just somebody who is different than what people would think as normal, like what should be normal and should be okay, that we need to have, we need to wave our freak flag high. And I, I can do that. I mean, I don't have anything to lose. Any publicity I get is good publicity. Um, I'm pretty confident within myself about who I am. I've always been that way as far as like the Baroness character and what I represent, you know, I lecture, I throw parties, I have wonderful fetish friends, I play wildly, I'm creative in that sense. So all of these things are very positive and I want people to see that. And I want people to not feel like they have to hide any of these things. And that was, I mean, it always amused me because nobody ever watched real sex. Everybody who came up to me, they never were watching real sex. They were just flipping through the channels or they came across it accidentally, or they're at someone's house and they had it on. I mean, nobody actually watched real sex is what I've gathered, but you know, I'd be on airplanes and people would say, I've seen you, I've seen you before. Oh, um, my, oh my, you're that woman, oh. I had a friend who was um, my partner in crime, Boy David, the Prince of Kink, and he, he actually died. And I was the one who was cutting off his life support. So I'm in his hospital room, I'm there on one side of the bed, the doctor's on the other side of the bed and we're signing over the forms. And the guy is writing this. And then he looks up at me and goes, you were on real sex. <laughs> and boy, David just laughed and became a huge coughing fit. But it was just, it's just a lovely thing. He says, that's my friend, the Baroness. And I was just like, it's so dear. I mean, it was completely inappropriate, but really pretty funny. Um, but it, it, did, it was astonishing how many people saw it. I mean, I could definitely hear the whisperings about it. Um, unfortunately, they have decided, HBO has decided that's not the sort of thing they want to show. So every time I put it up on my website, they take it down or demand that I take it down. Or if I put it up on a, on YouTube, they take it down because it's not the thing. And with me, I am very, it's called real sex, but out of all of the real sex things, I probably the least obviously sex thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no in and out. <laughs> One thing that I notice, because I ask all my guests to send me pictures that I can turn into social media graphics. And in a world where most of the latex that you see, if you're looking at a Twitter feed full of latex models, it's usually black, 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 because of that certain sheen and shine of it. But the thing I noticed about the pictures that you sent me and also looking at your website, it is a virtual spectrum of colors, the likes of which I've never seen because it is so vibrant. Does that match your personality? Yes. Um, I, I have one instance. I don't know if I said, I did send you a picture of the maw. So the maw is this amazing creature art thing. It composed it each time it walks, it's different. It can hold up to five people, head to toe, rubber, bizarre shapes, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm wearing this with my, I've got three people in tow. I'm at the um, Montreal fetish weekend. I, I have pink hair for those who don't know that. And this hood part, this is before I changed this. So you couldn't see my hair. You could see a tiny little bit of pink coming out of my hair. So I'm going along, of course, everyone's like, oh my God, this is so amazing. This is an incredible thing. And, and somebody that I knew was up ahead and I, I stopped and went to talk to them. And they said, Baroness, I've never seen you in black before. And I thought, well, that's such an interesting thing to remark on because you're not remarking on the three people a bit that I have behind me, the, the 60 yards of latex, the sound effects, the but you've never seen me in black. This is true. I don't wear a lot of black. I mean, in my, I live in the East Village, so I wear black clothing. But latex, I feel it's just, it's too cliched. It's too limiting. It's too, it presents one image that is an image, it's an iconic image, but we as people can be more than icons. And so the, one of the pictures that I can see that you have on your board, where I'm wearing the black, I was doing a lecture at DomCon and it was, for the professionals and it was about the power of clothing. And I walked in, in that outfit, carrying the bullwhip, thigh high lace up boots, skin tight latex, corseted. And I said, so what do you think I am? Like, here's the power. And it's like, you think I'm a dom, right? Cause I look like one. However, I'm always dominant but I don't always have to present that look to you because that's just too obvious. I love doing bull whippings when I'm wearing my ball gowns and tiaras because I think that's just funny, you know, that mm. here's this 
this thing. I, I love having green body bags that you can put somebody in that they would normally go, it's a body bag, I can't get in. You know, it's black and red, it's so scary. It's like, it's green, get in, get in. And they're in a body bag. So I just love that it can disarm you. I love that it's, as women, you know, that it's flattering. We can see this. I love that we can wear it all over the place because of the color choices. You know, that you're, if you're limited to one look, like I wear latex to the opera, that's a different look than I would wear, you know, to a, a BDSM club, um, or maybe not. But it's it's important, I think, to have this versatility. And I'm a visual person, as you can see from the the photos that I sent you from the Garden of Good and Evil. That's the one in the backyard. I see shapes. Um, I like to distort people's body shapes. I like to take them out of the realm of humanness. I like to take them out of their comfort level. I like to see all of these things. And as latex became more fashionable or more street oriented, it did need to change in terms of its coloration. It just made it easier to get more people to wear it. I often talk about the physical hypnosis that wearing cat suits does for me, always knowing that something is touching me in so many different places. Is there a certain sensation that you feel or that totally resonates with you when you put on a great latex outfit? Of course. But you're speaking to somebody who wears a lot of latex, so it's, it's possibly different for me because it is, like I can go from street clothes to high drag in five, but mm. what would be the point? I'd really rather take an hour, have my champagne, have my clothes laid out, you know, do the whole ritual and such. I love the ritual of dress, the transformation of that. I love, I think probably the times when latex is the most, I'm most physically aware of it is swimming. I love water and latex. That's just so astonishing. I mean, if you're in the rain to feel the pattern of it upon your body, um, to hear the sound effects of it, to feel like the, the cold and then the release of the cold, to have the um, knowledge that you're outside in the rain, you're getting your clothes wet, which is just kind of a fun thing because it's not really what you're supposed to be doing, um, to be in a pool and have it flutter against you and then just flow the ebb and flow of the latex under a long ball gown the sound of, of latex skirt is rumbling down the hotel corridor as you march march off to an event i mean these things are just they bring you back to the temple that is your body and that for me is what latex does it brings you to the temple that is your body all you have to do is stop and just be there with it you know you don't need it for anybody else this this is really just for you i mean so many people come into the shop and they're buying things for the boyfriend, for the girlfriend, or the boyfriend, girlfriend's buying it for them, or, you know, they're, they're, it's an external thing, but it's just, a, just really stop and feel it. I mean, just when um, the products came out now, there's a lot of new products in the market that there used not to be for shining and such. And I remember the talking about it on one lecture and I just completely stopped talking because I was just so engrossed in stroking myself because it felt so lovely. And it's just like, here's this amazing sensation that I'm having and you don't know what I'm doing. I mean, you think I'm probably nuts because I'm just standing there with this kind of weird expression on my face, touching my, my arm, you know? And it's, it's, for me, it's heaven, it's incredible. So latex is profound. I mean, it's the most amazing material I think there is in the world, obviously. And I'm sitting here dreaming of all the things that you're talking about and only imagining what it must feel like to be able to when you get your latex catsuit, there's a product that they don't make anymore. You let me know, I've got some, I'll send you a tiny little bit. Spray it on you and just the lightest of touch. First touch yourself without it, spray it on you just in one area and then touch yourself completely different. Mm -hmm. It like charges through your, around your body, around through the latex. It's like, um, I don't know. It's, I love doing it to latex virgins. They come in and they're like, ah, I don't know what's going on and put it on this first I touch them like you know what this feels like just remember what this feels like and then I do the same thing and just now remember it and they'll go oh, oh, mm. oh, ah, oh, ah. you know so it's it's it ricochets through them it's, it's astonishing when you're wearing your latex or when you see another wearing latex is there a quality of it being armor as well where there's a certain safety inside the rubber? Well, there could be both. I mean, it's the same way as you're wearing like a skimpy little outfit and you're walking down the street and you can feel threatened and it could be out of latex and you can still feel threatened. 
I'm a New Yorker or, well, I've lived here long enough that I feel like I'm a New Yorker and I've done a lot. I'm a top, I'm all of these things. So I really don't feel threatened by anything. I mean, I could, I wouldn't feel threatened in my negligee. Um, I just, the latex does add a, um, a patina to it. If you're, mm. you know, going to go out to the public, you know that you're like, you're looking a certain way and they're going to react a certain way. And you know that you've dressed for the, the evening that's going to happen or, you know, the event that's going to happen. I mean, that that gives you a certain degree of confidence, which confidence would be kind of the same thing as armor. But um, again, I feel that it is really, I mean, it's, it's a pleasure to be able to give people this, you know, look at me, I look pretty, you know, I, this is an interesting material. What's that? What's going on? You know, like, oh, is that latex? Whew. Wow, you must be an interesting person, which is kind of amusing to me. But they're basically just wanting to tell me about their little secret desires and things because they've seen that. So it's, it can also be less of armor. It can be more of a magnet is what I'm trying to say, or at least for me. When we talked on the phone prior to our interview and also in reading in your biography, with all the things that you've done working with celebrities and with everyday people, creating this amazing personality wrapped up in rubber, you have always had a dream. And that dream is your next step, which is going to France. Tell me what that means to you to finally be able to say, I am within a few steps of that dream. <laughs> well, right now, of course, it's frustrating as all fuck <laughs> mm. um, because I am within a short distance from leaving, except for the fact that the French borders are closed. And once the borders open, then there's a three month visa process. Mm. Um, when will the borders be open? Who knows? When will I get rid of the store? I'm kind of basing it on when the French borders are open. Um, so there's a lot of, it's, it's annoying in that, but I'm really excited about that because I have a lot of things I want to do. I mean, I will not have a shop there. A lot of people ask me if I'll have a shop there. It'll take me, I think, a couple of years to get established there, to find a place, to get it the way that I want it to be, have a workspace, et cetera, and get situated. I'll still work for private clients because I love latex. Um, I'm planning, I'm so looking forward to being able to go to a lot of the fetish parties that I've been wanting to go to over there that I just haven't been able to either because of the, the time away from the shop or possibly for the expense of it, but mostly the time away from the shop. I'm planning on having small gatherings of tops, I think at this moment, I haven't quite clarified this. Um, so tops, not necessarily women, but not a, not a party situation, having come to my home, I'd like to interview them. I'm, I'm archiving all of my business. I think this is a really important time that I've lived through and I want to have this archive to be available for everyone. I want to extend it further so people understand it's not about like, I can archive me, you know, I know me, mm -hmm. that's pretty easy, but me within a context. So me within the New York scene, me within the other doms that are around there, me within the, the people who've seen the time change, me within the, the young ones that are coming up, me within, you know, Europeans versus Americans. I mean, just to give it a context because that's much more important than just, than just me, although I'm amazed I'm saying that. Um, it's, so I want to do some interviews with that. I want to keep them as video interviews possibly also as something that I would do as a podcast, but it would be more, again, for the archives that I would again send off to archive places. I started writing a book about 10 years ago that I never finished, which is about clothing and power. I'd like to finish that. Um, I really want to do a lot of the more bizarre artwork, latex rubber artwork that I've been doing, which sort of explores the um, dehumanizing of people uh, but with sound and sound and glory and a lot of latex so I'm so thrilled about that and I really am curious to be in a situation where I don't know what I'm doing I mean I know what I'm doing here I'm very well set I mean other, other than COVID but you know my life was pretty structured I knew where I stood in in my world I knew what was coming up next I knew all of these things I want to go to a place where it's all not necessarily difficult, but not easy. I don't like easy. Um, I was admiring, um, reading a lot about, uh, I can speak some French enough to get by. I can read some French enough to get by. Not very good, not good enough, but I was reading on um, Fat Life a lot of the um, 
the French people. And interestingly enough, all of them, they're in their introduction, bonjour, je m'appelle, you know, like, hello, my name is, whereas like, I'm Bob, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a different culture. And I'm so thrilled. I'm looking forward to, to playing that way because like in New York, there's certain rules that you kind of sort of fall into that you don't necessarily mean to, but you're limited by the rules of society. They kind of sublimely come through. I've of course changed how I play because I have a store and you can't necessarily go battering and setting all your customers on fire as much as you might like to. Um, but you know, it might, might affect business and I'm a hardcore player. So I'm just kind of aware of that one too, but I'm looking forward to this in some sense of the not anonymity, notoriety. That'll be fine. That'll get me through. For the person who gets to help you tell your story and watch you tell your story in this archive way, it's going to be a remarkable experience. And it has been a remarkable experience getting to interview you today. I'm still a little nervous. And so Good. I'm sure you're smiling. <laughs> but it has been an absolute honor, Baroness. And it's been my pleasure. And I hope you will uh, continue to regale us with the wonderful stories that you have. And I look forward to seeing your next chapter as it evolves. Thank you. Thank you. I am too. I am too. Of course, meanwhile, you know, and who knows for how long I'm in New York. I have my boutique is still open. Um, it's in the East Village. You know, you can buy things off of the website, but I really do love it if people come to me with these wonderful creative, creative and bizarre costumes and creations. I just, I just, it thrills me to make clothing for people. We will have all the links to the Baroness's work and her social media and her amazing, amazing website in our show notes. Thank you so much, Baroness. It has been an absolute honor. Thank you. And remember, any occasion to dress is an occasion to overdress. <laughs> I will share with you that there are few people that I've been intimidated to interview, but you can tell through her incredible charisma she is a tour de force of power and grace, and I'm so honored that she joined us. Join our Patreon and hear shows sometimes months before they're released to the public. An exclusive five more minutes, where this week, the Baroness talks about what it's like to lube Beyonce. You can join at patreon.com slash whatwomenwantpodcast. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review, if you will. We do appreciate it. And that will bring to a close this edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. I'm John, otherwise known as Hi There Catsuit, reminding you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash whatwomenwantpodcast. Leave us a message at 513-788-2527. And we invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at whatwomenwantp1 on Twitter, whatwomenwantpodcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at www.podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. We're kinky done differently.